Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas. I am your host and unconscious mind expert, Jenea Barnes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. I have been waiting for this one for a while. I'm so excited to be here with Shani Silver. She has a podcast that is amazing. You want to check it out. It's called The Single Serving Podcast. And Shani, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, uh, you know what? I ask that question every week on my podcast and um, my guests are always like a little bit unprepared to answer it. And now that I'm doing it myself, I get why. So apologies to every guest I've ever had for making them do this. Um, I am a writer and a podcaster and I write about a lot of different things. I'm a humor essayist. I'm sort of a life essayist. Um, but I also host a single serving podcast because I have been single for 13 years and for a good, I would say, decade of that. Um, I was miserably so. And there, after about 10 years of being single, I, my, my perspective started to shift and I started to ask more questions about singlehood and dating than I ever had before. And I also became increasingly frustrated with the way that single women are spoken about, spoken to, and created for in our society. Because essentially everything made for us pertains to dating in one way, shape, or form, pertains to our singlehood being wrong in one way, shape, or form. Because if all you're creating for single people and marketing to single people is dating apps and um, dating coaches and shows like The Bachelor and, and stuff like that, if it pertains to single people, it always approaches our singlehood as a negative. And it isn't one. And taking the time to appreciate being single shows you just how not negative being single is. And if I can move from a mindset of being deeply ashamed and deeply full of lack and failure feelings and flaw feelings into a place of loving and valuing my single life deeply while still really looking forward to my next relationships, um, if I can do that, absolutely anyone can. And so that is what I hope my content will help people do. Awesome. And we are here basically to talk about self-worth and being single. And especially, just as you said, all those stigmas about you have to be with a partner, you have to be loved, having a partner is what makes you worthy, all of that stuff. You know, our people's parents do the thing where they're like, oh, you're coming to the wedding single again, you don't have a boyfriend. And those movies they make about somebody hiring somebody as a date to go to the family wedding. I mean, that stuff is real and it hits home for a lot of people, that deep insecurity and feeling of lack and worthlessness being showing up to another family event, having to listen to the people say, oh, well, you're getting a little old. Aren't you going to have babies? What's da, 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 da? And looking at you like there's something wrong with you. And first and foremost, everybody, I don't care what stage of your personal development you are in. There is nothing wrong with you. You are working perfectly. You might have some stuff you're working on, some stuff from your past, childhood, all of that stuff. But as a person that's an unconscious mind expert, there is a positive reason behind every unconscious thing, even if it's not working towards what you want. But there's a positive aspect to it. And your unconscious mind wants something positive for you. It's working perfectly. And sometimes maybe you need to do some adjustment to get it on board with what you consciously want. But again, I'm going to say it loud and clear. There is nothing wrong with you. I agree. Yep. It's kind of that simple. And the key, I think, when we are looking for a relationship is to find somebody that's in alignment with us that we're not having to contort and bend and try to be something that we're not in order to make somebody love us, make somebody 
feel like they're worthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am agreeing with everything that you're saying because it's on point. There is, there is, um, we, we tend to assign a lot of negativity to our absence of partnership. We associate not having a partner with bad things. And that's just because of how we were raised to view a uh, couplehood. Yeah, couplehood is exalted and seen as correct. And singlehood is seen as a flaw. Something's wrong with you. Why aren't you partnered? And the stamp of approval that gets placed on you as soon as you partner up with anyone, by the way, um, that stamp of approval is really harmful because it tends to create this weird caste-like system where people and couples are elevated above people who are single. And there is nothing more inherently right about people who are in couples, just like there's nothing inherently wrong about people who are single. If you look around at all the people you know that are in couples, there is nothing inherently perfect about them. And there's that perfection was not why they they <laughs> fell in love with their partner and got married. They happened to meet their partner and a relationship developed. And wasn't that a beautiful thing? That's great. And I'm so happy that that happens. I look forward to it for myself. But its absence does not mean that flaws are present. We have to divorce, and I use that word pun intended, we have to divorce this connection between if you're in a couple, you are now approved. You are a real adult now. You are a finished person now. You are a better person than you were when you were single. That's just absolute nonsense, and I won't hear of it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like as your friends start to couple up, little things like you go to a wedding and you get put at the singles table. And of course, we know the intention is that, oh, maybe two people will find each other and spark a love like thing. But that idea right there that you're outcast and put to the singles table, it's like being put at the kids table when you're 25 at Thanksgiving dinner. Like, that doesn't do anything for your self-worth. It does not do anything to keep you happy and feeling great. I mean, the single people are going to find each other at a wedding already. If they like each other, they're going to eyeball each other from across the room. It's obvious. <laughs> you don't have to put yeah. them at a table. The singles table is so gross, especially after you've paid money to fly to a wedding and booked a hotel room and all your Ubers and all your meals and everything. And they won't even sit you with people that you know. Nothing is more annoying to me than being sat at the singles table because I have paid so much money to celebrate you and you can't do something as basic as sit me with the people that we have in common so I can talk to someone. I don't know anyone who has actually met someone at a wedding. I don't know anyone who has done that. I know it happens because people meet in an infinite number of ways and I'm very happy about that. But it's not a thing and it has to stop being something that is part of the wedding narrative, sitting all the single people together. They don't know each other. It's very awkward and you're just kind of like jammed together and expected to entertain yourselves. It just, it's so, it's so strange to me why you would do that to people that you actually care about. No, I... I completely agree. And, you know, these other places that we get ostracized, you know, it's even family, obviously the family events. And I mean, I've been single now for two years. Before that, I was single for 10, maybe 11. I can't remember. I mean, I dated. I definitely dated and I dipped into the dating apps. Of course, I know how you feel about those. Um, but here's something I actually kind of want to talk about with the dating apps. And mm -hmm. this is in general, you know, people get into that like idea of the law of attraction, right? You, if you want it, you put it out there and all of that stuff. Well, most people meet their best partners when they're not looking right. Because usually I mean, that's, I feel like over the years, I've heard that time and time again, but usually when you're looking, we're in the space of, I feel lonely. I feel like I really need somebody 
And when you're in that space, you're actually focusing on the things that you don't want. You're focusing on how lonely you are. You're focusing on that you have to be with somebody. So how are you going to really find if the law of attraction is a true, real thing? How are you going to find that perfect person that's in alignment with your values and your viewpoints that feels really good if you're not focusing on feeling really good and being true to yourself, if you're focusing on how lonely you are and how much you need a partner. I mean, I don't know that I actually agree with that because I mean, law of attraction aside, if, if that's a belief system that works for people, awesome. And I'm really happy about that. But I just, uh, I'm wary of like statements around how are you going to meet someone when you're focusing on X, Y, or Z, because I'm really done with blaming single people for their singlehood. and putting That's more true. and more pressure on singles to behave the right way or think the right way or look the right way or do the right thing or don't do this because then this will happen. Or It's just there's so much pressure and anxiety put on single people when we start getting into things like, how are you ever going to meet someone if you're doing X, Y, and Z? It's just, that's not the question. The question is, why are you focusing so intently on meeting someone? Why is this such a drive for you? Why are you so invested in find someone, find someone, find someone, find someone? The asking that question can lead to some answers that might be a bit more productive, but taking any action in service of making yourself better or more likely to meet someone, in my opinion, is energy misspent because that energy turned around inward and just asking yourself why you're doing that in the first place it can illuminate things like I have shame about being single. I have family pressure and shame about being single. I'm afraid to be alone for X, Y, and Z reasons. There's a million reasons why we can feel so driven to find somebody, to say nothing of how celebrated couples are in our society, right? Like there's nothing bigger than a wedding besides the Oscars. Like it's just the biggest, <laughs> most overblown celebration in the world, right? So if, if all we see is people being so celebrated just for publicly agreeing to continue sleeping with the same person, when you break it down, that's what it is. Like, of course, we're gonna feel so much lack because we don't have that. We want to feel celebrated. We want to feel accepted by society. We're human beings. But I'm, I'm very cautious about suggesting to singles that they're doing something wrong and that's why they're single because we have no idea why we're single. Right. Why are you single is not the question. Why are you looking so hard and putting yourself through misery is the question. And I think that's really the point, the underlying point of what I was getting at in the sense that we're, when we're focused on needing to be with somebody, usually that's coming from a place of something that we want to look at rather than being focused on being your awesome, badass self. And that is, honestly, that's the space where most people, I think, find the person that's in alignment. Because when you are being yourself, that is the place where you feel good to step into any kind of relationship and see if it's the right fit for you. You can date for a little bit. If it works, it works. When you're staying true to who you are, that makes it a lot easier to be able to suss out the creeps and being, yeah, just being able to really focus on being you, whatever that is, whoever that is, whoever that is, it's just perfect. Remember guys? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the other thing too. I was wondering what you thought about this idea, you know, we go on dating apps and we swipe and we swipe and we swipe and we're trying to find the partner. We're trying to find the right person. And again, I think it's a lot where in that space. I mean, I know for me in the past, when I first started using dating apps, it was because I felt lonely. It was because I 
really wanted, I believed that having a partner would make me more whole. That if somebody loved me, I would feel better about myself. And that's not the best mindset to be trying to find a partner. It's a mindset that made me settle. It's a mindset that made me really take and put up with a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have. Yeah. So how do you feel about that aspect of the dating app world? I think whatever leads us to dating apps, we should just turn the other direction and run. Um, <laughs> I've used dating apps for a decade, a full decade, without one relationship ever resulting from all of that effort, time, money, energy, emotions, everything. Um, but I didn't do it because I felt lacking or I felt ashamed even. I don't even think it had registered that high yet. I did it because I thought I had to. I thought I right. had to find someone because I wasn't finished yet. I wasn't a real adult yet. I was still sitting at the kid's table of life until I found my partner and got married and became a real adult. So it was just a very passive chore, much like doing laundry or dishes. I'm single, therefore I date. That's just what you have to do because you're not real yet. So um, that's why I just gave all my energy and, and so much time and money to it. But it's whatever leads people to dating apps, I would really encourage them to take a very long, hard look, not at why they're doing it even but what they're getting out of it. And I think by and large from my experience from the communities that I operate in and work within, dating apps are no longer the fun, exciting, opportunity-filled spaces that they were maybe once marketed to us as. The horror stories are now the norm. The good stories are the rare shockers. And when we're operating in a space like that and giving it money, we have to ask ourselves what we're really getting and if we're comfortable with what we're really getting and if what we're really getting hurts, why do we continue? Do we hate being single that much that we're willing to put ourselves in a space that is not giving us back what we actually want? And I don't know how familiar your audience is with dating apps, but it's, it's really worth giving some time to evaluate what you're using in the first place because dating apps are a business. The dating industry is a for-profit industry and yep. there's no for-profit industry in the world that is incentivized to create fewer users for itself. The last thing a dating app is incentivized to do is help you actually find someone. A dating app needs right. you single as long as humanly possible so it can make as much money <laughs> out of you for as long as possible. There is no incentive for a dating app to work because if it works right. and you delete it, it loses a customer. And you have to ask yourself if that's something you're comfortable with before you participate. If you're comfortable with that, continue, live your life. If you're loving dating apps, keep loving them. But if you're not, it's really important to understand that they are not an obligation. You are not obligated to date. You are not obligated to put active effort into finding someone. That's not a life requirement for single people. It really isn't. Right. Oh, and it's you're still allowed to meet someone, by the way. You can still meet and somebody. And you're still with what? You can yeah. still meet someone. like you're totally it's that's an option. You are allowed to meet someone without putting in any effort whatsoever. Talk to 10 couples, you know, find out if any of them say we're together because I was aggressively looking for somebody. They're not going right. to say that They're gonna say they met just during the course of life, you know? Yeah, it's funny. This is something I noticed because I was a bartender for over 20 years and as the dating apps started to really take hold, it totally changed the bar industry. Now, I worked in all kinds of different bars. I worked in like hookup bars. I worked in cocaine bars. I worked in rock and roll bars. I worked a little more snooty places, whatever. I worked the gamut. But it was so interesting as the dating apps really took hold. You would see all the people on their little dates and you could tell by the body language how it was going or how it wasn't going. And you could also see that over time, there was this decline in people actually naturally talking to each other. People just stopped talking to each other in bars and social environments because 
my belief, and of course, you know, I haven't done a lot of stats on this. And of course, my view is, you know, warped by my own experiences. But my belief is because we have kind of come to this thought pattern that we are supposed to find somebody on a dating app. It's the only way we're going to find somebody. And therefore, we can't we have to shut down real life connection. And, you know, if you just randomly meet somebody in a bar and go home with him, like that's dangerous, right? I mean, that's no more dangerous than meeting a random person on the internet that could have catfished everything about, yeah, it's, it's so much, but it was such a crazy thing to watch over the years, just less and less people talking to each other. Yeah, it breaks my heart. My dream is to open a venue where we essentially are a time machine. And when you walk in, your admission is your phone. It's locked up. You have no access to it. And if I ever see you in my club with a phone, you can never come back. And like you're <laughs> looking back into the 90s. That's what I want my venue to be because it's very, it's, it's almost like, I want anthropologists to study this. I went to a comedy show one time where they did this. They locked up everyone's phones. It was a big open room with no chairs and we were waiting for the comedy show to start and no one had a phone and no one knew where to put their face. No one knew what to look at. It was the most awkward herd of people I've ever seen because no one had their crutch with them. And right. it was just so strange, like watching people we were, while we were waiting to get drinks at the bar just like nobody was talking to each other. Nobody knew what to do. It was like we had lost the ability to communicate with each other. I want to create a space that reminds people how to communicate with each other in person, not just for the sake of hooking up, but for the sake of being human. Right. So yeah, much humanity. Well, and that's one of the things I'm kind of excited about with things opening up. I know things, some things are going backwards and forwards and whatever, but as people start to be able to connect with their people again, how has this last year going to change the way people crave that real connection and how that can, I mean, that can translate into people that are single, people that are couples, like everything. It can translate into connection in general, but my hope is that people will realize after having a year of being isolated how important that real person connection is and not just by meeting somebody online and going to meet up with them and have a coffee or a drink or whatever it is yeah i have no idea what's going to come of it i i do know that oddly enough during the pandemic during was when i had the most number of single women that I know personally start long-term relationships. It was it was like they were just dropping like flies. One after the other, people were meeting. And I think because the logistics of, uh, of connection were so altered and were so high stakes, it was a different kind of investment between people. And it changed the, the reasons you were talking in the first place. It changed how selective you were with who you spoke to. And I just know, God, off the top of my head, four or five women that I know are now in long-term relationships that are still going, that started during a pandemic. It's wild to me what it has done, but I mean, I haven't, obviously it's just like anecdotal data, but it just was strange to me that I knew so many, so many women in my just sphere of friends and colleagues and, you know, uh, podcast guests and things like that, that were just continually starting these real relationships. And I thought that that was sort of interesting because the second the pandemic started, I got so many pitches and like P like PR emails from dating apps that were just like, don't worry, you'll still be able to date during the pandemic. Here's this new tool that we have for our dating app. And I was like, honestly, people are dying, but you wanna make sure that single people aren't sad and pathetic and still single after all this is over. Like single people dating was not the priority. And every time someone made it a priority, they were reinforcing the narrative that singlehood is wrong. And right. you have to take the time to think the thought in your head, what if singlehood wasn't wrong? What would that look and feel like if you got to actually experience that? And then know that that's real. You can experience that. Like it doesn't have to be the worst thing ever. It's actually amazing and free and so optimistic and full of just 
whatever you want and nothing that you don't, like there's a complete 100% absence of bitching in my life between me and another person. I never bitch at anybody. Nobody ever bitches at me. Nobody ever annoys me. I never annoy anybody else. It's just me in here. Like there, there's just this freedom. And I don't see that with any of my nearest and dearest that are in couples. So I just, I keep struggling to see the downside of singlehood that society sees. And obviously I focus on the positive because of my work and because I want to be one of the first people ever describing the reasons that singlehood is good. Right. And there are, there are downsides for sure. We were extremely lonely in 2020 and that was a very, very difficult time for many of us. But um, there's a lot of good stuff, just saying. There is, there is a lot of good stuff. And in my, my own personal experience, having spent more of my life single than coupled up, honestly, okay, I definitely missed regular sex for sure. That was a big one. And sometimes I would get lonely, but the lonely times were so small in comparison and so much less than what it would have been like to be in some of those crappy relationships that I was in. And those crappy relationships, most of them were really great at one time and were totally in alignment for me at one time. And at some point, it became clear that we weren't supposed to be together anymore and we parted ways and that's great. And I feel fortunate that I've only stayed in relationships long enough to learn what I needed to learn to be able to get out of them. Yeah. The ones that weren't in service to me in the long run, for sure. Yeah. That's a massive reason to love, to love being single is because when you need to get out of a relationship, singlehood is no longer scary and you can. Um, yeah. And the sex thing is amazing, right? Sex is fantastic, but honest to God, self-worth feels better. And I have never oh, had, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I've never had sex totally. so mind blowing that it was worth giving up myself. You know what I mean? It's like how yeah. important do we have to make sex? I've never, I've never seen it be worth more than me. Ever. So I'm just not, I just don't care. Like I, it would be great to have sex on a regular basis again, but only when it's with the people that are right for me. And until then I'm okay. I'm okay. And you know what I've really found over the years is the higher my self-worth is the less and less just sex is important. Sex with somebody really great is important. But as my self-worth has gotten higher and is so much better than it used to be, yeah, I still want to get laid, people, but I want to get laid by somebody great that I have a strong connection with because that's what feels good. That's what elevates my life and makes it even better than it is right now because right now it's pretty freaking great. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely curious, you know, with the pandemic and so many people that you know getting in long-term relationships, I'm curious to kind of dig into what we both might think really played a factor in that. And I think you touched on it a little bit when people are being more selective uh, about who they're going to choose to meet up with. I think that for sure plays a thing. And I also wonder, especially with the dating apps, especially if you live in a big city, right? It's a never ending like cycle of a million people to choose from. So if this person doesn't work out, there's a million other people. And so I wonder if people were more like just look for the real something deeper and real whether it be conscious or unconscious. I don't know. What do you think about that? I have no idea. And I'm sure it'll be studied in the future and we'll really find out what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think partnerships suddenly had a higher value and it was also harder to find. So it just became a different playing field altogether. It was, a, I didn't date at all because I was terrified of dying. So I didn't date right. at all during COVID. Um, but I think it became 
I think the value of partnership went up. The difficulty of meeting potential partners also went up and it just became a completely different ballgame. And I think it was probably taken a lot more seriously than it was in previous times. And I also think that people were a lot less likely. I certainly hope people were a lot less likely to just one night stand their way through their adulthood because you can certainly do that. That's an option. You can do that as long as you want to. It's it's there for you. Dating apps are certainly facilitating that. Um, But bars were doing it before. That's an option as well. You can do whatever you want. But during the pandemic, it became a much more dangerous game to play. Sorry, these chairs are the worst. Um, So it became a different game to play altogether because it wasn't just, ooh, is he going to ghost me? It was, ooh, is he going to give me COVID? I feel that's a very different mindset. Totally, totally. And it was so funny seeing like the tweets from girls who had old ghosts sliding back into their DMs trying to like, get a line on their COVID supplies and be taken care of by a woman and like quarantine together. Absolutely not under no circumstances. That is such right. horseshit. If you could not be bothered to be a decent person in the before times, you don't get access to my like toilet paper stash and Clorox. I'm sorry. You're just not getting it. No. Yeah. Well, it's funny too. I did a little bit of online dating during COVID. And one thing that I loved was that you in theory, you met on Zoom before you met in person. So you kind of got to see if there was a little something there before you put yourself in this position to be mauled by some creep or really have to deal with whatever mismatch there might be, right? You don't even have to leave your home. You don't have to spend any money, none of that stuff. And so I remember one person he, we met, we talked, we had like a good connection, it seemed. And then he's like, will you c- come over? And I was like, um, to your house. And he was like, I, I have the antibodies. So I like, I'm like, and so he wanted a straight up physical thing. And I respected that he was very upfront about it. So I do respect that, but it was definitely not what I was I'm like, yeah, that could happen in the future if you weren't just down for that. But I'm looking for something where I can have a potentially a decent, real connection. And then another person I had multiple conversations with, one or two Zoom calls, and we met in person. And we were at the subway, masks on, about to say goodbye. And we did a little hug with masks on. And he pulled my mask down and kissed me. And I was like, what? What? Like, I mean, if it was Halloween and I was wearing a mask and it was non-COVID times, I would really appreciate if you ask before you take my mask off my face and lay one on me, period. It's actually really nice to be asked to be kissed in general, but to pull my mask down, I was such in shock. I couldn't, I like froze. I couldn't even do anything. And I'm just like, and then his mouth was on mine. I was like, okay, that's it. That was my Yeah, there's a consent conversation missing there. There's absolutely a consent conversation missing, sir. We don't do that. (laughs) Not cute, not cute, not cute. So what is the biggest thing your listeners struggle with, do you think? Oh, comparison. I would say comparison. Oh, yeah. Um, They, we, all of us, are very likely to allow the presence of other couples in our world reflect back to us what we don't have. Comparing ourselves to other people generates such feelings of shame and lack and failure and what's wrong with me um, that we don't have to have. Those aren't mandatory feelings. We are choosing to have them. We are choosing to compare and we are choosing the message that we want that comparison to send to us. If we're out at a wedding or at dinner or a picnic with a bunch of friends, and all we can see are couples and we realize that we're the only single one, we are making a choice to assume that we are lower status than those couples. We're choosing to assume that there's something wrong with us and that's why we're not coupled, but they are. Like it never dawns on us that like, oh, she 
started dating a coworker and now they're married or like he got really drunk at a bar one night and she was there and they just started hanging out and they just kind of never broke up and whatever. Like it's just, we, we don't realize that other people's partnerships have nothing at all to do with us. They have nothing to do with us at all. They're not actually saying anything about us. There is nothing more inherently right about couplehood than singlehood. We're just choosing to view couplehood as better, but it's not, it really isn't. First of all, couplehood is very hard work. I know there are countless very happy and in love couples all around the globe. That's fantastic. I'm so happy, but it is still work. It isn't a perfect life state. There isn't a perfect life state. Singlehood and couplehood are, in my opinion, completely even. One is not a better state than the other. Each one has its own challenges, its own benefits. Each one is very likely to change. There isn't one that's better than the other. So when we compare ourselves to other people and let that somehow tell us that we're worse than the people in couples, it's just a waste of time. It is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And it's just baggage that you gave yourself to carry that you don't have to. You can choose how you see your space and your place among your friends. You can choose to stop seeing yourself as lacking or as worse than the couples around you. I would say comparison is absolutely the most recurring issue. Um, Second only to people that really love us and really care about us, not understanding that we're reframing singlehood for ourselves. And that's a good thing. There's still a lot of family pressure, a lot of family feelings of, oh, but I just want you to be happy. No, you don't. Because when we tell you that we're happily single, you either don't believe us or think that it's wrong that we have achieved some kind of singlehood happiness. Um, So comparison, family issues, family pressures, um, stuff like that is extremely, extremely common. In my particular cohort of single women, um, I don't allow uh, venting about shitty dates in my Facebook group. It is a rule. There's no venting about bad dates because early on I learned to make that a rule because it just became a space of like everybody going on a terrible date, something bad happened, or like it was just a a feelingless, lame waste of time for the 50th time in a row. And they would come home and post this like huge rant on Facebook with no intention, with no intention other than for two seconds, it made them feel better that somebody else was like, yeah, this always happens to me too. But it's a very short lived, it's a very short lived moment of, of gratification. And it was just Mm -hmm. causing a lot of negativity. So I don't allow it anymore. Well, and it's also, here's a really big piece of that. It's not empowering. And I think because your frame on singlehood and the way I think as well is that you can be very empowered as a single person. If you have a crappy date, I had a crappy date. And yes, it was about consent and it was COVID. And that was something I think that was important to be discussed because of the weird dynamics. But in general, I wasn't talking about the date itself being crappy because it's just a thing that happened and I'm bigger and better than that. I do not have to let that crappy day or that crappy person determine anything of value about me at all. And so I think that's incredibly powerful that you do not allow that venting it's funny my facebook group too is that there's a no venting rule because it's not empowering it's not how to get up and out of that space of feeling like there's something wrong with us because like i like i said before there's nothing wrong with you you may have stuff you want to work on you may have stuff you want to change but there's nothing inherently wrong with you and your value and your worth comes not from who you date not from what your parents think, not from the job you have or the money you make. Your value comes from knowing that you are a very worthy person because each one of you are. Absolutely. I feel like that was a little bit of a rant. (laughs) It's your podcast. (laughs) And I really want people to step into their power. And I think that's a big piece of be single, own it, enjoy it. Like my grandmother, 
my grandmother's a pretty empowering badass woman. She's nine. She just turned 90 this year. She was married super young, had two kids. Her husband was a dog and she, you know, remember she's 90. So in this day and age, she divorced him, took the kids, was a single mom for a while, right? Your eyes just got so big. Like that was not done back then, right? So she was super strong. She met my grandpa. She had dates, lots of dates. And she would always, I guess, cancel those dates, the other dates, if he called her because she was, she really like, she knew, I think she knew. And then she was together with him forever. And then he passed. And she, of course, was super sad. And when she, after she started to heal, she just loved being single. And then she had a boyfriend that was 15 years younger than her for a little while. And now she's back to being single. She's like, I don't want to date any of those guys. They're all too old. Oh <laughs> they're like, they're just all so old. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's like, I really enjoy being single. I love living by myself. Right. This is the only time in her life she's lived by herself because she had kids. She like, so there's something really empowering about really being able to own your life. And I think the best, the kind of relationship I want to end up in is two people very independent having their own individuality coming together and choosing to share a life because they really like each other not because they're filling each other's holes they're making each other feel validated and for people that do that in relationship that that works for you fine that's i have no qualms against that um but for me what i want is two powerfully individual people coming together, choosing to spend time together. I want something that is better than my singlehood. You're going to have to make my life better than my singlehood, which is awesome in order for me to give this up. I'm not going to stop living a life that I love for someone who's going to make my life worse. So show up and make my life better and I will do the same for you. And then we can be in a relationship. But if you show up and my life is worse, then my singlehood, if you're a detriment to my life, we shouldn't be in a relationship. It's another reason why it's really important to look, to reframe singlehood for yourself so that you can enjoy its good parts. Because when you Absolutely. love it, you become unwilling to give it up for anyone who isn't the right person for you, the right people for you. It's exactly you give yourself. You really, it's such a valuable gift you give yourself to learn to appreciate all the good in single life you're just so much less likely to start a relationship that isn't good or right. And you're less likely to stay in a relationship if it evolves to a place where it's no longer right for you. You're like right. more comfortable ending it, knowing that the world isn't going to end because your singlehood was really great. So you can go back there if you need to. <laughs> totally. I even have one of my guy friends says, I asked him one day, I'm like, do you, are you looking to end up with a girl, a woman someday down the line? He's like, yeah, if one comes along, that's a little better than my peace and quiet. <laughs> and, and I think, right, exactly. When you are, when you choose to be in a relationship, you want it to enrich your life. And definitely, as you said, not make it worse. Not make it worse. I think a lot of people settle or stay in relationships too long. I've definitely stayed in a relationship too long. Um, and I do think there were certain things that I needed to learn. My last one, I probably stayed in a little too long, but I learned some of my strongest self-worth lessons there that made it really set me up for the future, for that really great relationship in the future. And I'm so grateful for that time and that space and that relationship for helping me to learn that. Yeah. Totally. Um, one of the things that we do or that one of the reasons I think we settle in a relationship that's not the best for us is because of maybe the love that was modeled for us or childhood hurts, things that we that 
made us not feel good enough or feel worthy. And I know when you and I first talked, we talked a little bit about going back and healing the child self. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I do in the work I do with people is we go back in time and heal the emotional content of these, these very, these source events when the very first hurt of that particular time happened. And you said that you've been doing some of that work with, I can't remember who. Um, I do Phillips work. It's called To Be Magnetic. And I've been doing that for, yes, uh, I guess, about two and a half years now. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things that comes out of either reparenting yourself, I think there's different different types of this work that all sort of have a similar thread, but I think really what it is, is giving your young self what you needed then. And I think one of the really powerful things about this kind of work is it teaches you how to really love yourself in a way that makes it so much easier to be happily single. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, any sort of effort you can put into revisiting your child self. I mean, we, we're so conditioned to take care of children and to treasure children and to protect them and make sure that their needs are being met. Um, why wouldn't we do that for ourselves? And it's it's incredibly difficult work to do because when you do start reviewing your child self and how you were raised, there can often be an immense amount of anger involved because you have the instinct to protect the younger you and to take care of the younger you and to give the younger you what they need. And then you immediately remember the people that were supposed to do that didn't. And it can really generate just so much anger and pain. And so it's, I, I strongly suggest any kind of uh, inner child work that's done should be done in tandem with therapy. Um, but it is beneficial to revisit things and ask yourself what you were really learning from them, not just so you know you can give yourself better models of of love and relationships and stuff, but just so you can evaluate the way that you think and the way that you are and why. And if you don't like them, if you don't like the beliefs you have or the patterns you have, you can change them. That's why I do that kind of work, and it's been endlessly beneficial to me. But it is very, very difficult to do, and um, should not be should not be entered into just because you want to meet a boyfriend. Like it's, it's not something <laughs> right. like, I'm going to do some inner child work so that I can find somebody that doesn't work that way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. But it is, yeah. it definitely is one of the things that as you begin to heal your past self, it makes it easier to be, to just not need to have somebody else fill you up. Yeah, um, for sure. It's interesting too, and the work that I do, one of the things, I mean, I do a few things that kind of set up before a lot of that is we clear out a lot of the um, emotions, the big emotions, the negative ones, the anger, the fear, the shame, the sadness through an entire timeline and we re-imprint that. And I usually do some parental re-imprinting with people because honestly, we learned from our parents and they learned from their parents for the most part and they're and our a lot of our parents didn't were not of the generation to even do any self-reflecting so they literally just carbon copied the best they could trying to bring in some new stuff to the next to their kids and you know this is the cycle that happens hopefully every generation gets a little bit better but as and hopefully somewhere along the line somebody does some big healing work and really shifts that genetic line of behavior and so that the next generation has less stuff to reparent themselves with yeah yeah it's it's really powerful to watch somebody's triggers just fall away and somebody's, you know, those moments where we do feel triggered in a relationship or by somebody telling us what we should do in 
being in relationship or not, a lot of times that stuff, that shame and that stuff that comes up is an old wound. It's a trigger from the past. And when you can go back and heal that, whether that started when you were 20, whether it started because you overheard your mom talking about her sister, how she doesn't have a man and blah, 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 or whatever it is, being able to go back through your timeline and give yourself the emotional shift that you need or the learnings that you need to be able to unwind that and release the triggers. So then you're at some event, you're at some wedding and someone's making their snarky comments and you just don't care. <laughs> yeah, you also give yourself just the permission to challenge what you were taught. Like we're yeah. when we're raised as children, we're taught not to challenge our parents, we're taught to obey them. And right. that obey mindset, it sticks with you in adulthood. So when you are I mean, I've had this happen in my community constantly. When you're talking to somebody in public, whoever it is, I had it happen with a somebody with their doctor recently, just imparts all of this flaw and failure messaging upon you because you're single and gives you unwanted dating advice and you know where you might have once accepted it because yeah, they're right. I don't have a partner, that's bad. Doing inner child work gives you the fortitude to challenge what is being forced upon you and asked of you to obey. You don't have to. You can say, I didn't ask you for dating, dating advice. I don't think my singlehood is right. wrong. Please don't impose your views about singlehood on me because they're not mine. You give yourself permission to challenge the stuff that you used to have to obey because that was a pattern too. We don't have to just go along with society's opinion of singlehood. We get to have our own um, and you're not raised to have your own opinions. You're not raised, well, at least in our generation. I hope now children are raised to have their own opinions right. and, and thoughts, but we weren't. <laughs> we were raised, you know, sit down, shut up, listen to me, obey me, get straight A's, go right. to college, make money. Like it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't overly complicated, but it was endlessly layered in the things it taught us and the limiting beliefs it gave us. So right. just that very permission in rewriting childhood programming to challenge what you were fed and what was ingrained in you. The, the permission you give yourself to challenge it and change it is monumentally helpful across all areas of life. You realize you don't have to just go along with things anymore. You get to choose whether or not you want to and how you want to participate in things. The, the amount of autonomy that comes from doing inner child work is phenomenal in my opinion. Yeah. And the other piece of that is if you are sitting at a bar and some guy, even if he's really attractive, comes up to you and wants to date you and you're not into it, you feel much more comfortable saying, no, thank you. Or I used to, this is what I used to do is <laughs> when some guy would offer to buy me a drink and I didn't want to talk to him. I mean, like, I would say, you can buy me a drink. I'm not going to talk to you and I drink expensively. It's your choice. And they would always buy me a drink and then sit awkwardly on the other side of the bar. But I didn't want to give them this like false sense that they feel entitled. I wanted to knock their entitlement down that they got to talk to me just because they bought me a drink. And, mm -hmm. and, as a bartender too, it would see it. I would see women. And I think this is one of the big things that is so important to teach. And again, it's valuing yourself and being able to say no to somebody that's trying to court you is I would see women just sit there getting smaller and smaller while some guy was just lurching over them, talking to them, spitting on them or, you know, with their drink, getting all up in their face and that you could see their body language just getting smaller and smaller and they didn't want to do it. But for a lot of women who have been so ingrained to just shut up, keep your mouth shut, be quiet, don't speak up for yourself, all of that stuff that so many of us have been ingrained with that they couldn't say, look, just leave me alone, buddy. Like, yep. They would have to be the good girl and they would have to be nice, whatever it was. And I think that is such a valuable thing as people do the healing work, getting to unwind this societal norms which are becoming less and less the norm 
but we need to step up and make, well, you don't have to, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but it is supportive to be able to have less uncomfortable feelings when you're telling somebody no and really creating the boundaries that you really, that you want in your life to have the life that you want. For sure. We don't have to be nice and not be rude when someone else wasn't nice and were rude. We don't have to be quiet just for the sake of not making a scene or not hurting someone's feeling, hurt their fucking feelings. If somebody is in your world and you don't want them to be, it's okay to hurt their feelings. They fired shots first. It's okay. Right. We were never taught yeah. to do this. We were never taught to stick up for ourselves. We were taught to just smile and absorb it. Women are, in my opinion, like discomfort absorbers. We are like yeah. sponges for discomfort. We hold it. If somebody says something inappropriate at work or at a cocktail party or something like that, with me, it used to be, this was an old pattern that I have since broken and I'm so glad this is no longer happening to me. But every time I would sit down at the bar, it would always be a man sitting down right next to me despite a completely empty bar on the other side. Um, mm -hmm. Massively inappropriate for me in terms of age. I'm talking 30, 40 years my senior. And it was always just me just being like, I'm smiling, nod, and don't wanna cause a scene, don't wanna be rude. It was never just like, please leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. I never had the fortitude to say that because I thought I just had to be nice and a good girl, like you said, and don't make a scene or hurt somebody's feelings, even if they're making you uncomfortable. When we teach girls not to hurt somebody's feelings, even when somebody else is making them uncomfortable, we do them a massive massive disservice that is criminal to do to girls because then we have to spend our 30s and 40s unwinding that and that's not fair. totally totally and it also just becomes here's the one thing even if you guys ladies anybody even if you don't do the inner child work or work with somebody like me or any of that the more times you do it the easier it becomes so just say look even if you do it with a small voice the very first time, look, I don't want to talk to you. And I say, what? I say, nothing. Even if that's the first time, it's a first step. And that is awesome. Awesome. I also like to think if you, if you don't feel safe, remembering that you're not alone in the room, hopefully there is a bartender there. There are other patrons there. And if you say it one time and the message doesn't come through, say it a little louder than is comfortable in a public space and see if somebody else will, will chime in because it doesn't just have to be you alone all the time. Like we are allowed to be in communities and, and let people know around us that something really uncomfortable and inappropriate is happening. Here's a quick tip before we wrap up in, in regards to that. One of the things people, uh, from the outside looking in often do not know that you're really in an uncomfortable, bad situation until they hear something like, I don't know you because people assume it's a lover's spat, a lover's quarrel, and they don't want to get involved in that. But if you say, I don't know you, leave me alone. So letting it be known that you don't know the person let puts people on alert in a way that is totally different. So that if you're ever really in an uncomfortable situation and somebody is not leaving you alone, because sometimes they don't, I've stepped in as a bartender countless times. And, but if you say straight up, I don't know you really loudly, if I'm behind the bar, I'm going to catch that because bartenders have really magical ears. They hear stuff that you would never know. It's one of my favorite, it's one of the things I miss about bartending actually was those snippets of pieces of conversation. And really, I mean, it's where I learned so much about people in their drunkenness, we're operating from their unconscious mind. This is All right. bartenders well. They are some of the kindest people on the planet and they are there more than you realize. So tip your bartenders well, people. Absolutely. All right, Shani. So tell the world a little bit about where to find your podcast, how to get in touch with you, how to join your Facebook group, if that's in alignment for them. 
Sure. Well, Shaney Silver is a really easy name to Google, which is to my benefit. Um, but the easiest way to follow along with my work is to listen to my podcast. It is called A Single Serving Podcast. And once a month, it publishes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher, all the free access platforms that you're used to. And then um, every other week of the month, it publishes every Monday morning on Patreon. So if you would like to hear my podcast once a week, you can join my Patreon for $5 a month. And that also comes with access to my podcast's Facebook group. And it's a wonderful, positive, supportive space that I'm really proud of. And I hope that it is um, something that can benefit single women everywhere. Sorry, my mom's calling. She has been just an absolute knack for calling and texting when I've been on Zooms this week. It's just almost like a <laughs> about that. Um, anyway, really easy to find. Shaneysilver.com is where you can find everything I just talked about, along with um, some of my writing work. And um, like my medium is where I write most of the time. There's a link to it there as well. But yeah, I'm easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you that don't know me, I'm Jenea Barnes. I'm an unconscious mind expert, and I take people from self-sabotage to self-mastery. All of that healing work, the emotions, the childhood triggers, all of that stuff. I work with people to do that. And you can find me at JeneaBarnes.com. That's G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S. A little more difficult to spell than Shaney Silver. <laughs> and you can find me, DM me on Facebook, Instagram, all the platforms. I'm on all of them. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much, Shaney, for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment, give it a rating, pass it along to your friends, follow it. These actions help other people find this podcast, and I, of course, greatly appreciate it. Thanks again, and have a beautiful day.